Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed Season 10 of The Deep. Just a note to let you know that seasons will now be eight episodes long. But don't worry, I am reposting some of my absolute favourite episodes, like this one, so you'll never be short of something to listen to. You can also subscribe to The Deeper Membership where I post a new episode every fortnight, even when we're on break. That never, ever stops. There's links in the show notes to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Android. We'll be back with Season 11 in January. See you then, and I hope you enjoy this episode, one of my favourites, from the archives. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Some people just want to see the procedure. Some people just want to touch it. Some people want to keep it. It's it's like a fascination, I guess, with a, a part. Welcome to the deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Wowie. First up, I need to warn you, this is a very explicit episode. It is not for playing in the background if there are little ears or conservative minds around. Eva O really challenges me, and I'm not one for BDSM. It makes me uncomfortable, so it was all the more reason to explore Eva's world with her. It is truly mind-blowing what Mistress Eva and her slaves are willing to partake in. Eva's specialty is the mindfuck, and I guess that kind of sums up this episode. Enjoy. Eva, oh, I'm nervous. (laughs) Why are you nervous? And I'm sure you get that all the time. Oh, you'll be fine. You challenge a lot for me about sex and what people find uh, attractive. And I, um, I just feel very challenged, especially by gags and balls, those ball mm-hmm. gag things in the mouth and like all the, the, the latex and it's all just seems very aggressive. <laughs> assertive perhaps let's start at the start okay how does a little girl Mm. grow up like what environment does little Eva grow up in so I was born in Southeast Asia and I moved every two years between a lot of different countries around the world and I was mostly brought up by my mother and the women in my family were a very powerful knowing presence and that probably laid a lot of the groundwork especially for um how I take steps in the world take action and how I communicate and just over time I started to understand that this was in conflict to the way that the world wanted me as a woman to operate and many different people mentioned the idea of a dominatrix to me (laughs) and eventually I found my pathway to the only sector of our current humanity that says it's actually very attractive to see a woman really speak in such a direct way and ask for what they want and what they need. So you were kind of raised in that way. Yeah. Raised to be I, a powerful woman. <laughs> I think in in yeah, in in some ways that was the only framework that I saw and I would see my my mother not saying things, but I would see her think it. And so she would stop herself in the same way that I learned eventually to stop myself. But it was always, there's this internal push that she really wanted to follow through on, but she never did. And now I think I get to step into a world that encourages that in me as opposed to suppresses it. Did you get to grow up with quite an open understanding of sex? I, hmm, 
So when it comes to my family, we don't speak about it so much. Um, however, I grew up around a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people, and they also numbered people who were very open to speaking about the fluidity of sexuality as a concept, as well as um, its mere existence, which a lot of people don't necessarily bother to do. So I would say I was lucky that I got to see a lot of different approaches to how sexuality is included in our lives. Yes. Did you grow up with a father figure or was it more your mum did the role of both? She was the most consistent figure. Um, I have a stepfather and I didn't really grow up with my biological father, even though I did see him. I also had an uncle that I was very close to and that I lived to as well as a grandfather. So it was a very, uh, it was a very much a family unit. Everybody looked after me. I was very lucky in that sense. Did you grow up having, um, I don't want to say re- normal sex or regular sex, mm. but not um, dominatrix so sex? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you, like, did you grow up just whipping people from the start of like losing mm. your virginity or did you ease your way into this world? <laughs> I think the first few experiences I very much um, kind of let this the series of events unfold the very, very first few experiences. However, I very quickly um, started to direct. So the ways that I wanted things to be done, the way that I wanted them to to engage with me or to say or to be or to do. <laughs> and I didn't realize that was um, maybe a feature as opposed to the average, perhaps. Uh, until much later yeah are are you a bi woman a straight woman like what's your sexuality I think when I first started dipping my toes in in the concept of sexuality between people I I was I thought I was straight I thought I was only attracted as a woman to a man However, over time and (laughs) meeting so many different people and understanding that I am very much attracted to traits as opposed to how people identify in terms of gender or appearance. So I would use the term pansexual now just because Mm -hmm. it's very fluid in terms of who I feel drawn to. It's more about how they interact with me rather than necessarily what they look like. So... You grow up, you see traits of of this coming into your sex life. Mm-hmm. When are you really drawn into this world and where do you get to explore it for the first time? Like where is it celebrated? So I I used to live in Shanghai, my partner there. Um, I was just standing in the doorway. We were maybe only a month or two into our relationship and I was just saying something. I have no idea what I was saying, but it was something about our day. And he says to me, you know, you would make a really good dominatrix. And I didn't have a concept of what that was back then. I just was like, all right, fine. I'm going to continue my conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not interested in following that train of thought right now. And when I um, moved back to Australia, I entered um, the corporate sector or re-entered, however you want to see it. And I started to realize how it was it was very much a company that interacted on, on a Fortune 500 level. And it was very much about the um, manipulation of the masses for profit. And I was not into that. And I realized I needed to scale back into something that was more aware of the individual that I was interacting with and more, well, not aware, maybe more with more care and kindness. And I thought, all right, so what am I going to do? I'm just going to look up a bunch of different options and see what they look like. And so I looked it up. Lucky I was in Sydney. I found Salon Kitties, the dungeons, and they were looking for apprentices. And so I I joined. And very slowly, like, it was incredible. My first day, my first session. However, it was only something over time that I've learned how to articulate the fact that I was repressing my personality all of that time. And only by consistently being welcomed to direct the situation did I start to learn that I really like this. And this has always been me. 
but society says no. How old are you at Salon Kitties? I was 26 when I was at Salon Kitties. Mm, Interesting. Mm. And Mm. so you, you were there for how long? I was there until they closed, which was only about two years later. Okay. And then you go, this is my life. This is who I am. I want to do this. What happens next? Well, it was, I was very comfortable in, in my routine at Salon Kitties and my shifts. And I was also escorting at the time. And when that happened, I thought, I want to keep doing this. How am I going to keep doing this? And then my business brain kind of clicked and I set up my whole branding. I set up my whole, like a whole new identity and did pictures and, and I just kind of rolled with it. it I've, uh, maybe it was very reactive. In a so way. is Salon Kitties a brothel? I'm just, what is it? Yeah, they have a brothel license uh, or where they had a brothel license, but it, Mm, so it really goes to defi- it goes about how you define what sex work is, right? And when I went for my first interview, they said, "Have you ever done sex work before?" And I was like, "This is sex work, really." I didn't realize that we're gonna be having sex with them. But now I have a I have a more nuanced understanding that even if, for the most part, a lot of doms don't necessarily, a lot of dominatrices don't necessarily have. Um, penetrative sex with anybody you are engaging with somebody's sexuality and so it is sex work if you're going to use that term and they had a brothel license I guess because of that as well as there was full service um, sex which is penetrative sex on site as well although I didn't really do that at Salon Kitty. But you did as an escort? Yes I did that as an escort first with an agency And then I tried my hand at brothels and massage parlors as well. And always in the same tone, always as a dominatrix? Or did you kind of go, oh, today I'm something fluffy, you know, and tomorrow (laughs) I'm, you know, whipping Um, someone? Yeah, so it's it's very hard for me to, I, I only really have, one or two characters in me you know we all act we all act differently when we act with a different person a different you know public space private space etc um so I have that kind of acting but I don't really have many personas I don't really know how to be fluffy (laughs) 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 don't think anybody would describe me as that (laughs) so never um, a submissive uh I I would say that I probably tried to let that characteristic come out but I I've never been good at it. So even when I was at the brothel <laughs> the manager would say to me it's like they really like you because you're real. <laughs> you know you're really there and it's you and it's there's that's your personality and that's that. And, and that's also why they hate they hate me sometimes, you know, because I can't maybe act in a certain way that would be more compatible. And so, mm-hmm. no, I, I can't say that I was, you know, as directive and interacting with kinks in the brothel space or in the escort space, but I was always quite assertive. And I, I, I didn't take the bullshit that I could recognize. Of course, there was always a lot of bullshit to learn that was bullshit, but, uh, I didn't do that from the beginning as much as I knew how to. I mean, it sounds like you've been doing this for a long time now. What is mm. the psycho like what's the psychology on why people want to be dominated? Cuz my point of view is oh, it's like a barrister or it's like a prosecuting judge mm. or someone that's got these really intense jobs and then they just mm. want to like be spanked and spat on or something and degraded <laughs> but but is it a type of person um it's the type of person that wants to be loved like all of us <laughs> i would say that's the only common factor it's just that these types of people maybe these personalities are drawn to spaces of surrender um that might be the only commonality aside from that it's really Sure, you get your barristers, your judges, your finance crew, but you get, you know, you get blue collar laborers, you get everybody, you get teachers, you get 
students, you get everybody. <laughs> Tell me that bit about wanting to be loved because I can't, mm. that's something that's a challenge for me is seeing um, being mm. told what to do and that being loving. Can you help me? Mm. Yeah, well, okay, so we can think of the inverse maybe, right? Maybe I walk up to um, Bob <laughs> mm-hmm. and and Bob says, and I want Bob to, you know, take care of me and what care means to me is um, that he listens to me and that he... Um, listens to what I have to say and acts and follows through on that, you know? So maybe Bob is in a position that's listening. Or maybe I walk towards Bob and I want him to take the lead and I, I want him to make the decisions so that I don't, so that I feel that I can trust him and that I, I feel like I am invested in the right way in this relationship. It really is just a perspective of what you want. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's very fluid. I don't think all the time I want you to always follow my lead. Sometimes I just want you to make a bloody decision and not need me for this. Of course, that's a that's a directive in itself, of course. But for the for the wider part, it's it's not set in stone either. However, because a dominatrix is a job for a specified period of time, and we're acting these roles within this time, I guess it's more condensed in terms of. I want this role to happen now so that I feel safe, so that I feel accepted, because that is my current preference right now. Does that explain anything? Yeah, it does. It does. It's still confusing a little bit for me because I don't sit on that side, yeah. but I do understand mm. that. Like, can we get into the actual options? You know, like I want to talk mm. about, because, you know, I'm mm. I'm very... Uh, uh, what's the word like new to this you know so I want to know the spectrum like I can say Eva today I'm feeling like I just want to be a naughty girl can you give me a smack (laughs) and then we go up to like talk to tell me the kinks tell me the facets the nuances Mm. so I guess if you're new and you're coming to me and uh I guess I never really open with an activity I always ask well why are you here you know it's like what about being naughty is is so interesting for you Mm. what about being good is not so interesting for you and that Mm. starts to reveal to you the layers of how they're approaching things people could say completely different things you know they could say they could say something in a way that reveals that they just want to feel naughty. They could say something in a way where they really believe that they're naughty and they want you to get into the core of how naughty and bad they are in the world, you know? And so that changes the tone of everything. But if you're a complete newbie, I, I would, of course, go through all of that with you to try to see where your mind is at. But then it's a very slow progression. I might take you through a few things that I feel might interest you and things that interest me. And I would do it very, very slowly. And they might be things like just slowly, gently tying you up and seeing how you react to to that pressure, to being captive, to being mine, just a little bit. Maybe it will just be the arm so that it's not your entire body, you know. And then maybe we would slowly start to edge with a little bit of playing with touch. So am I going to start pressing on you a little bit, a little bit harder? How does it feel? Like, do you, do they look like they're feeling controlled, enjoyed? And the way that you speak to them, where you place them, do I put them on the ground and I sit above them? You know, how do they react to that? Do they start to retaliate in a way that they don't like? It's, it's, it's really about playing with the power dynamics and giving mm. people a satisfying experience that speaks to all these little tiny triggers that kind of live inside of them. And I don't tell people <laughs> this process. It's more like, hi, so why are you here today? And I'm reading them the whole time. And we'll try these few different things. Yeah, Because that sounds very psychological then. And it sounds like all the other mm-hmm. um, toys and things that come with it are just that, you know, they're just extras where it's really just this it is a power struggle and it is a, mm. it's a, it's a mind fuck. So different people practice in different ways. The way that I approach it is very much all about invading the space of the mind, a mind fuck, as you say. Mm. Um, but also 
and that's always a component. You have to be very careful with the people that you're working with. However, you do also have some very dedicated fetishists. So people who only like dominatrices who only practice heavy bondage, for example, and their whole craft is about how they practice bondage safely on somebody. So it would really depend on the person, um, on how involved they are with their gear or not. And I'm involved with some gear, but I think my main focus is definitely the mindfuck. <laughs> so, and tell yeah. me, like the outfits, that just feels mm. to me like a lot of effort. Like a, how mm. do you even put latex, a latex suit on? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've pulled my shoulder putting on a latex <sighs> cat suit. <laughs> like, do you have to powder down? Like, I think I saw on the Kardashians mm. once they were getting into some kind of latex oh. and it was a full system. Or, or do, is it lube? I lube. I use lube. Yeah, I use silicone lube um, on my body and on the piece on the inside if I can, if I'm patient mm. enough as well. And now I cheat a little bit and I might get half a size bigger, which is actually very helpful. Um, but for a pure latex fetishist, that would be a horrible thing to hear. Sorry if you're listening. <laughs> but um, it's, it's absolutely worth it sometimes. But actually, for the most part, I don't wear it in session unless it's maybe a special occasion. <laughs> yeah. mm, I love it. But because it's not a huge focus of mine, I don't invest in it as much as somebody else might do. So what do so, you wear? Um, because these days, my business model is a bit different. I don't do one hours anymore. I'll do like one to three days. Um, I just wear what I always wear, <laughs> which is, you know, things you can walk out on the street in. Um, sometimes jeans? if I know they, yeah, jeans, t-shirt, wow, <laughs> a dominatrix Short. in a t-shirt, shorts and a sports bra and a cap. <laughs> wow. I'm in Australia. So Sun sucks. You, um, yeah. is there sex with this? Like if I book you, mm. is it, like, is it one cost for no penetration, another cost for penetration? Yeah, so a lot of doms operate like that. And when you're in a bro in like a brothel or a house, like a dungeon, there is usually that negotiation around price. I just do one flat number for the day and that's it. And what I feel like is included is included. <laughs> and you can make suggestions about what you feel like you might want to entertain yourself with or engage in. But the way that I do things, I'm here for my interests you're entirely. the boss uh it's still well we're always the boss right it's just that these are my parameters right now it used to be different it could change but this is just how I operate right now so you're saying tours that I mean that just hmm. sounds expensive like to have you for one to three days sounds so expensive and then also like are we watching the real housewives at night together or are we like are you in your own space and then do we have like moments of intensity and then we go have some cornflakes and then we come back or like how do you position <laughs> it Cornflakes can be very intense. Depends how you engage with them, <laughs> right? Um, so I like to have my own room, and it always has to be bigger than theirs. Is <laughs> my general rule. I like there to be a sauna in the in a good one. There's a lot of craft ones in the hotel, and it has to be downtown and things like this. So I, I do have a whole list of requirements. But um, how is the intensity? I guess my intensity level is pretty high in general when I am out and about, which is also why I can't really work for much longer than three days at a time because it's like action-packed in a way. Mm. But we are eating cornflakes. We're totally down at the breakfast buffet. We're, we're in the sauna. I don't watch Real Housewives but I have watched a lot of movies with them and I might make them do something silly, like they have to hold something on their head for the entire duration or something like this. You know, there's a lot of ways to integrate play into your daily existence and it's it's basically like hanging out for a few days. But you're on the whole time, even if it's not yeah. like full on, um, 
a, a heavy bondage. I don't even know if you do that, but if if it's not that end mm. of the spectrum, and you are making them your footstool or whatever it is, yeah. it's some yeah. it's engaged for the whole three days in some capacity. Yeah. So I know other people um, are maybe a little bit more equal minded for when they're having dinner. But for me, I, I'm very high protocol. I am definitely on the high, high end of the protocol spectrum. They can only sit on my right. I don't want them to sit across me. They can only walk on my right three steps behind me. So there's always oh my something God. for them to Tell do. Tell me everything about that. I want oh, all the protocols. <laughs> go, go, give it to me. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. There's so many things these, these poor kids have to learn. Um, they do enjoy it, though, but... Things like they can never sit on a chair. They, they can never sit on a seat in private. In public, obviously, we have to make some allowances um, for the benefit of everybody else. But they can't sit on a seat. You know, if they ever really want to, they have to ask for permission. They have to ask for permission to leave the room. They can never have a drink unless I say so. They have to present the drink in a certain way. Uh, first thing in the morning, they have to kiss my foot right and then left. It's, it's, it's endless. <laughs> And have people been uh, doing this with you for years? Oh, yes, years. Is that 10 years now? Yeah. And you've had clients for that long? I have, yeah. I have. I know you won't tell me this, but I have to ask because everyone's going to know. <laughs> How much huh? does that cost? How much does it cost for you to hmm. tell me when to get a drink of water? Like how much? Oh, okay. So the whole day with me, so that's like, morning tonight more or less is 10,000 US <gasps> yeah. I just got full body shivers <laughs> I feel like I'm in the wrong industry I feel like I could do this now all of a sudden yeah. it was something I'm not into <laughs> I'm de- so what it's gonna cost me 30 G to have you for three days and I can't sit on a chair correct <gasps> yeah lucky you <laughs> no chairs for you Wow. You have just like I wow. I don't need I do I've got nothing. I got nothing left. Well, well, I mean I didn't start here, you know. I mean, of course you could start here if you if you were so inclined, but I started at you know, sometimes I'd get I'd get 75 bucks for a half an hour of foot worship, which is still good. But that was when I first started. Hang on, wait. Someone is gonna worship my feet for 75 bucks and that's a starting point 130 is to the house and then i would get 60 percent. is that the right math i have no I idea i don't do math but um yeah that's that was the starting tell point. me what is foot worship what are they gonna do it can be so very different you can it's basically some time that's centered around the love of feet so whether that's restraining them and dangling your feet over their face and teasing them. Somebody who's in love with feet, that can be really drive them crazy. It can be letting them have free reign and massage your foot and kiss it and put their face against it and smell it. It could be so many things, so many lovely things. This is amazing. It's very sweet. (laughs) You're like... I find it very sweet. That's the lovely part. Um, tell me, like, tell me something that is un. I mean, this is all unusual to most of us listening, but tell me some of the more unusual kinks. Oh, so foot fetish is probably one of the most common things. I'd say top three, definitely. Um, and I don't know. I guess within my work, what do I find? Um, that doesn't come around so often. I guess somebody who can actually physically take heavy bondage and restraint. So this is whether it's heavy suspension, um, upside down rope work, it's not that common. I, to somebody who can be like restrained in a full bondage suit and Stay there for hours, also not so common. I mention these things because I love these things and I can't do them with everybody. But I would say it's really hard to say what's unusual at this stage. I find vanilla relationships unusual at this stage. 
because I'm so, I guess, far down the path of BDSM where things like negotiation, asking, you know, simply asking for consent and talking about what we both actually want (laughs) is so normal. It's the first conversation in a lot of our exchanges, people in the BDSM community. But when you step out of that, you go on a date and it's like they negotiate nothing. They just assume it's like they're so it's just a shock to kind of go back backwards into that world. So for me, that feels strange now. Maybe maybe certain animals, maybe like pet play is very, very common. So people who want to be like a puppy or a kitten, um, but people who maybe want to play, you know, like make bigger animals, maybe like an elephant or something. I don't come across that very much. So there's no, it's not an, an you don't have any animals in the play. They are the animal. Correct. Yeah. So you treat them as go fetch kind of a puppy. <gasps> have you had the... um? Like they want to be a baby. Oh, adult babies. Yes, I had those. Um, that's also not uncommon. It's It totally happens. Lots of people who want to feel nurtured and totally talk about surrender to totally feel like they surrender. Wow. I want to talk about, I found on your Instagram stories, your mm-hmm. home, and yeah. you asked about what people would like to have in your home on a kink level. Mm. So for the new house, it is very much centered around what I want. Um, it was kind of asking what, what they would want. And maybe I'll, I'll think about integrating it if it was anything particularly original. Um, and so for the new house, I, I'm very much into restraint. So whether that's keeping somebody... Um, in a, in a beautiful little ornamental cage, ready for me to make use of later, or to just be pretty while I'm having a little party or something. I find that something very sweet about about it, like a human ornament. Yes, correct. Yeah, <laughs> and I have cages in my walls, and I have underground cages as well, and I have a few suspension systems where I can suspend cages again. So I have a lot of cages, and then I also have a lot of um, hard points, so strong points where you can kind of maybe restrain somebody to the ground, whether it's just using a leash or whether it's actually tying them to that particular space. I have them in the ground, I have them in the walls, um, and I have actually a tea ceremony area. I really like tea ceremony where I have integrated bondage into that as well. So um, somebody's head is basically on the same level as my tea things. It's, it's another thing. Sorry, how would their oh, head be yeah. on the same level? How? Um, so I've um, I've built it from the ground up, oh, right? So, okay. Uh, I've dug underneath the tea ceremony area. So they get in and then you kind of close it on them. And um, so say their head is in a cage. Would that be the right word mm-hmm. while you're doing the tea ceremony? Mm-hmm. How would you engage them in that if they're restrained? Mm. So that's different. So when I pour a ceremony for them, that's what I just described. But when I have them in the bondage restraint, so it's so imagine a flat surface that opens up in two parts. And when you open it up, somebody can get inside. And when you close it, it closes down on them. Mm-hmm. But because there is this extra hole, it kind of holds their their neck yes on that surface so it's literally just the head and all of the things that are on the table yes basically and that for me is that I'm turning them into another object on my surface that's their that's that's their only input for me in that particular uh exchange (laughs) ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So many questions about this house. Mm-hmm. Wet rooms, mm. a wet room, mm. inside wet room, outside wet room. Why do I, why would I need a wet room? 
Okay, so wet rooms, people use them for different things. Basically, it's an one, it's an easier surface to clean. Sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> for the time. <laughs> and two, some people really just love the feel and the aesthetic of cold, hard tile or surface. You know, it's it's like a tactility and that really can trigger some people and, and or turn them on. And so <clears throat> I have them because I like to do water sports. So that's golden showers. And sometimes I also do a lot of wet and messy play. So that's like food or different uh, globulous textures that you're kind of pouring on top of people and encasing them. And we're rolling around it, just being, you know, silly and enjoying the play, the visceral play of it. And so that's why I need wet spaces. But everybody has a, has a different reason. Sometimes it's because you do maybe more medical things and you need it to be a more sterile environment and things like this. But what are medical things? So it could literally be the whole role play of going to see the doctor. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, they sell nurses, nurse outfits and on lingerie sites. It's really obviously not that niche a thing. But um, there is that whole thing. And so somebody might just put you on that cold, hard surface and flick their gloves at you and make you fill out a form <laughs> and stand over you in a latex medical outfit. You know, it could just be as simple as that. You can, on, you can go to all the way up the spectrum, which might include things like you do needle play. So whether you're doing things like so watching a needle go through your skin, although that's not technically medical, but it's a good environment for it. Or you could do things like um, maybe uh enema <gasps> play so you have a bag hooked up to the side and you're pumping something of some sort into somebody and letting them feel that sensation you know and oh so many different things that a medical environment wow. could be very good for wow mm. and what yeah. about yeah. so i'm gonna go there there was something mm -hmm. about there was a wet inside wet space with a toilet and then I was mm. thinking, you know, golden showers. And then do people want to do the other thing? <laughs> With shit. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as excrement. Or what are the other words do that they people wanna... use? Oh, absolutely. Of course. <laughs> How would this? I say, of course, like everybody knows. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just need to know how this would be sexy. Mm, I you know, it's like, how do I... How, like, there's so many things that I can't necessarily understand to be sexy. But at this stage, I understand somebody feels that it's sexy and fine. Good mm. for you. You figured it out. <laughs> Do you like have a barrier between them and the excrement or does the ex mm. do they want the excrement on their person? <laughs> <laughs> I've got you saying excrement. You can say scats. So people normally say scat when they talk about playing with excrement. What? Okay, so scat. So <laughs> they're shit. scatting around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Now it sounds like you're like, talking about yes, doo or do something. Yes, do they? Turn into like an immature <laughs> nine-year-old. Um, do, like, t uh, um, just I need to know some things, so help me. Okay, okay, sure. Do yeah, they yeah. want it, do they want to touch it? Do they want to, like, do they want to penetrate with it? Like, what? Help me. Hmm. Yeah, so I would probably never recommend actually using it when you're penetrating someone. It's probably a terrible idea, just bacteria-wise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Disclaimer. Who knows if this will go to air? But I don't even know right of, now. But please. Oh, I, I, I don't know. Please. <laughs> go for it. But um, yeah, so when I do things, I have a, like a, a seat that I sit on top of their head and you can also have like head restraints. Um, that's kind of how I like to do it. And you kind of sit there and they get to see everything and, and they often will eat it. <gasps> However, this is not everybody. Yeah. Some people just want to see the procedure. Some people just want to 
touch it. Some people want to keep it. It's it's like a fascination, I guess, with uh, a part. You, you know, it's like if you idolize, for example, there there's many ways to different to approach it. But if you idolize this person and you get to keep like this deeply intimate part of them that was literally once this thing that was going through their body, and if you see them as this otherworldly goddess kind of creature. It's just like, oh my God, I got to have this earthly element of this person. That's kind of how it can be perceived sometimes. It's different for everybody, but that's generally how I approach Surely it. Surely well. that has a bigger price tag. Surely that costs $100,000. Surely. <laughs> it is for me, everything is included. It's just easier to do it that way. So it depends on if I feel like it. And if it is to somebody's, you know, it has to be within their limits as well. I can't push them too much um but um but when it comes to when i was working in the dungeon then yeah it, it is higher price it was what was it maybe it was like four four forty or four fifty or i'm something like that like i'm pretty out there and i need to move on because i could go i <laughs> like what would you like how do you what about stage fright oh yeah that happens definitely if you're not used to that, absolutely, it happens. I mean, it it's not something that I practice so often, so I don't have such great control over it. But for example, I have great control over golden showers just from so many years. Now I can pee on, you know, command, on my wow. own command, uh, and I can drink enough to know how much I'm going to, you know, excrete and all sorts and it like how 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 long i might need for more and you just become attuned to these things you become attuned to your body when it's something you think about i guess can we talk about aftercare for your slaves or submissives talk to me about some of that aftercare Mm. yeah so when i used to be in the dungeon it was a much shorter process and also a more isolated process because you don't necessarily have their phone number right you can't really call them up all the time, how you doing? But so when you're kind of winding down, well, one thing is that the whole process is this is like I just described, you're watching them, you know, you're watching, you're making sure it's suitable for the time and their headspace. And so it, aftercare is, is what we use as a defined period, but it's actually also an ongoing process that never starts or ends. And so if in a traditional sense, aftercare means that you're going to start to wind the session down in a way so that they can start to level out as much as possible. And during that aftercare like portion, you might do a whole range of things that are suitable to you. For me, I, I shift the dynamic a little bit. I might let them sit a bit higher. I might get them a glass of water. So I mm-hmm. get them something. I might ask them to, you know, how are you feeling? What what are you thinking right now? Did do you remember the things that we did? What were they like? You know, just kind of to create a a mental picture as opposed to only an emotional one. So when they walk out, they have a verbal um, reference point so that they're not totally lost. Um, but now I can do so much more because I have them, you know, on on my mm. phone. <laughs> and so I do a similar thing. I do a similar wind down and a similar recap. And I make everybody check in with me uh, uh, two days. I kind of like give them some time to digest. And after two days, I make everybody write something to me about what the experience was like. And then that will usually tell me where they're at and what I might need to do to bring them down, reintegrate or plan Mm. our next thing. Yeah. So that's how I do it these days. How many slaves do you currently have? Um, so in my, I, I call them an inner circle. So that's people who I used to see prior to coronavirus every month. Mm, it was about six. And then I have like a wider circle who I might see once or twice a year uh, for whatever reasons. But those six are the ones that I text every other day that I meet once a month or once every two months and that I consider my inner circle. And do they all pay you? Correct. Yeah. So do you have any, do you have like friends that there's an equal power dynamic? Hmm. Yeah. So I definitely have 
friends that I that don't pay me <laughs> and who I see as um payment is unnecessary to the exchange. I like I'm I mostly have men who come to see me and for the most part it's very hard for me to find men who give me an exchange that I am genuinely um in awe of interested in like you are challenging me in a way that is meaningful that's how I like to engage with people it's very rare for me to find that and I found that in the last year maybe twice you know whereas amongst the women and especially sex workers that I've been able to meet I find that on a very rapid basis Mm -hmm. (laughs) that happens very often and so I'm always getting something like everybody we we engage to get something whether that's monetary or not I get a lot from a very wide group of sex worker friends mostly uh, who are able to engage with me in that challenging and interesting way and nobody pays anybody I I love to spoil them I I always take them out for as many expensive things as I can <laughs> in normal times yeah so you have the slaves you have friends what is your like do you long for an intimate romantic relationship yourself mm-hmm. intimate i would say all of my relationships are quite intimate um i would say romance can be found in so many things you know i even feel romance between my my friends who are supposedly or supposed to be perceived as platonic it's it feels there's a lot of love you know um but i guess in terms of maybe if you're talking about like the whirlwind charged chemistry um do i crave that i create those experiences so much i don't i think maybe i'm kind of maxed out <laughs> so you do you you don't long for any kind of intimacy or sex sexual experience that is outside of your work because it almost sounds like your work and your personal life are so intertwined Mm, yeah for me it's it is one and the same thing Mm. for me it's it's the same thing the people who pay me who maybe come down through a client pathway to me they are my personal life and I'm very clear from how I communicate on all my, my websites and everything that this is the path to being in my personal life it looks professional yes there is always a financial exchange yes but I am only I can only be here on a personal level. I don't I'm very bad at that kind of uh compartmentalization of things. Um so but I do have a partner that I live with which looks quite traditional and uh but there's <laughs> you can I cannot escape my personality. Does he pay, <laughs> he or she pay? Mm, he gave me so he provides for everything. And that's a negotiation also that I had at the beginning. He has also given me his main company. And I also get a percentage of his earnings. So, yes, <laughs> I guess it's the, it's the short to answer. To live with him full time. I mean, you're just mm. being you then when, he, when you're saying, don't mm. sit there, do this. Like, that's just mm. you now. But mm. you've had an, it's an arrangement. Yeah in a way that mm, works mm. for both. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely more lenient than I am when I'm on the three-day mm-hmm. thing. Also, I'm very, very different. Like, I'm in Bali right now. And Bali is kind of my... The only way that I know how to switch on and off is I come back to Bali, in a way. Uh, and then when I'm on, I'm usually in a pretty big city, and I react very differently to big cities. I get pretty stressed or I need a lot of structure in order for it to be an enjoyable experience and so a lot of my slaves see me in that environment whereas the person that I live with he sees me in Bali as well and I'm still you know I don't want you to sit there right now (laughs) I'll still say that but you you can sit there until then you know (laughs) so there is a shift there is a shift is that a sexual (laughs) relationship Yes, it is. Can he initiate yeah. sex? Um, it's not very good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you do, but you enjoy sex. Yeah. 
yeah like penetrative like yeah like non-kinky sex in a way I mean I'm still very direct yeah but yeah absolutely absolutely and have you had to break up with a slave Mm, oh yes (laughs) many times oh my current group is very good they're very very good um but I guess it took me 10 years to get to this stage and learning how to you know filter but over the years my goodness you know it's like I was not clear on what I wanted exactly and (laughs) you know I couldn't completely identify for myself and I couldn't spot it in them whether they were going to be on a good path for me or whether it was incompatible and so I've had to break out with so many because of that base incompatibility whether it's in communication style whether it's in how much of my time and effort and energy that that they want whether it's if they want it to be more traditionally vanilla penetrative sexual and I just didn't want to go there with them you know, there's loads and loads of reasons. How you do that? Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's a case-by-case basis. It's like, how do you break up with anybody, right? I try to do something like an exit interview. Wow. <laughs> I guess I, I give them like ultimatums, so to speak. You know, I might say, you really need to see a therapist and I want to have reports every second week on what you talked about and how that was. Uh, and if they don't do that, then it's like, I'm sorry, but for these reasons, this is it. And you can go to see this person from here. And I might recommend you for that. But for the most part, this is it. And I just have to draw a line. So that's, that's what has happened in the past. You have done porn. Hmm. Do you still currently do that? Or you don't need to anymore? Or you don't want to? Um, so I film things for my membership site, which I thoroughly enjoy. Is that OnlyFans? I do have something like an OnlyFans, which is the AVN Stars. And I film some of my sessions and I put them on there. But I have a membership site called youwillpleaseme.com, which I have courses on. And these courses require video content. So I might teach somebody how to look after my feet. And it is very sexualized <laughs> because I tend to go there in my videos. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the porn that I'm creating these days. Before everything happened, I was scheduled to go to Otherworld Kingdom, which is this um, castle that's dedicated to female domination. And I was going to go and film there. I was going to film with Erica Lust, who's an ethical porn producer in Barcelona. I was going to film for her in London. So I I do have things on the agenda, but coronavirus has kind of shut them down. (laughs) What is um, ethical porn? Yeah. So her or that, that whole segment and or argument is, is about how, you know, you're, you're taking into account um, the female gaze as opposed to only the male gaze, which is what is a lot of the stuff that you might see on Pornhub, you know, mainstream. Oh my porn. God. Yeah. Uh, you take into account <laughs> queer, queer identities. So uh, fluid ideas, concepts of gender, as opposed to just heteronormative. So the girl gets fucked by the guy kind of, kind of idea. So it's basically uh, realizing that there is an ethical way to look at sexuality and filming porn for that, as opposed to this limited, tiny, you know, worldview. Yes. Okay. We need to find Erica last for another conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to sit with what it is for me about this that feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was in a really um, severely abusive relationship with an ex and there was a lot of those behaviors Mm. um a lot of that controlling stuff you know like not being able to Mm. sit or no I'd be able to sit but I wouldn't be able to move or without any kind of um allowance from him and maybe that is something that feels Mm. like I'm so against this you know because it was in yeah. Yep, do you feel yep. like, do you ever come across anything like that with people that are interested in exploring this, but have some kind of trauma um, history mm. and, and how do you navigate that if you even come across it? 
Mm, I'm so sorry that happened to you and it happened without mm-hmm. negotiation. Yeah, absolutely. Correct? There was no mm. conversation. Yeah, so that's why I find, you know, people outside of the community so puzzling to me these days. It just mm-hmm. is so unfair <sighs> and heartbreaking. But um, yeah, do I come across trauma? Do I come across people with history? We all have history. We all have trauma. It's, it's unavoidable. Um, but we, you know, that's why the BDSM community, however many years ago, tried to think of ways that we can kind of move past or work with these things. And so that's, that's the procedures of, and the traditions of negotiation. That's the traditions of mm. safe words. That's tr- the traditions of identifying, um, different personalities or characteristics that we identify as if that's a puppy that you know I want to be a puppy and I want to be cared for and I want it to be playful I want to be a baby I really want to surrender I really want to feel like you're the mother I can trust and believe in you know it's it's like it's 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 really hard (laughs) and you're never going to avoid it and actually Mm. you're engaging Mm. with trauma and you're engaging with these things directly in a safe space that says, I'm going to try to be that thing that you can trust, you know, so that you can reframe this experience that you're directly tackling things, but with love. And that's where the love kind of comes into things also. And how do I manage it? I try to use all the traditions that we've kind of created. I try to use all of these skills that I've learned. I I like refer people to psychiatrists and psychologists that I've kept a database of over the years if I think it can be helpful you know it's the we just do what we can to love and care for each other and that's all that I'm doing that sounds really beautiful I try what (laughs) I I had a question which is what is after this but now speaking to you I feel like this is it like this is your you this is your life this is what you love Mm. there is no end date for you I'm assuming yeah, I mean, I've I've changed, you know, over the years so much, whether it's from when I first started training as a dominatrix. I had a whole life before this. I mean, sure, I was only 26, but I don't know what you want to call it. But I was, I had so many different careers. I worked at the UN before this. I had my own sustainable design company. I did production for like international conglomerates. I did I did so many things, so I don't know what's going to happen or change, but in terms of how I approach care and understand sexuality and understand needs and intimacy and love, that is for forever changed, and I hope that it only gets more developed from where I am, but it it is very, very much more advanced than where I was, and I'm very grateful for that. I, I guess now I'd use my money as you know, I have a lot more money than I used to have. And I try to use that in a, in a way that speaks to my values. So I also have um, a few other investments that are not, have nothing to do with sex work. And I use them to kind of channel to money to different charities that I, I find very useful in women's education, especially. And so I guess maybe that's the next phase. Maybe it's trying to give my money away in a good way. I don't know. I don't know. Final question. Who are you when no one's watching? <laughs> Who am I when no one's watching? No one is watching. I am everything that you've heard here and more, as are all of us. You have. I feel like I've almost been in one session with you, which has just been mental, where you've taken me to the brink of like saying my safe word and then pulling me back over that was insightful that was uh, mind-blowing that was jaw-dropping I find it's just like wow (laughs) I'm glad it was so beyond beyond useful thank you for for sharing with us today oh my pleasure it's so important what you're doing and so thank you I have loved the things you've produced so far and it's an honor to be a part of it I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you'll hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.